Welcome once again, those of you maybe just joining us online, really glad that you're here. Uh, today we are going to be talking about church membership, and uh, we're excited about that because uh, there's a lot of things in that for us. And so uh, when, when my wife Amy and I were going through the training to become foster parents uh, for the first time, one of the interesting things we learned, uh, or at least I learned, she might have known this, but one of the things that we learned was uh, kind of in the psychological world known as attachment. So I don't know if you know anything about attachment theory. Uh, it's a pretty, uh, on one level, pretty intuitive thing to understand. We kind of get what that means when it comes to uh, specific relationships in our lives, right? One of the things that people uh, say to someone when they're like, they know they're a foster parent is, oh, I would get too attached, right? So we kind of get that idea. Um, so family attachments, friend attachments, this is really important, though, in the development and the growth of a child. So children uh, need to learn how to attach to certain people uh, in a certain ways so that they can grow, they can be healthy, uh, so all those things are functioning in the right way. Now, most of us can wrap our minds around uh, why a child who ends up bouncing from home to home in foster care would have trouble attaching, right? Like, we get that. That's really difficult. And um, a lot of the time when you hear that someone has attachment issues, it's because they don't attach to a relationship in the way that they should, and so they end up not being as healthy as they could be. Uh, it, it's not like, you know, a, a forever sentence on their life, but it just has effects on you. Uh, there's another kind of attachment issue, though, that can happen uh, less often, but where children can become attached too quickly and too easily. This is another manifestation of sort of the same issue. Uh, they might call any adult woman they see mom, any adult man they see dad, like way too quick. Uh, and we've seen this kind of in our experience a little bit. And we also kind of intuitively know like that's not that's not the best either. We know that's not the normal kind of way that kids attach to adults. They shouldn't be calling every guy they see dad, right? Like that's kind of strange. Um, it, it's not healthy for children to just attach that quickly. Uh, and so there, there's a need in us, though, to have specific attachments that are limited in scope and, and, and that are known so that we can be a healthy person. And, and I tell you this example because as I was preparing, as I was thinking about how to talk about church membership, I thought that was kind of a helpful framework because all over the scriptures, we're called the children of God. In 1 John in particular, uh, the, the Apostle John talks about my little children a lot. And so that is one of the pictures we have for us as a church. And so this idea of attachment theory gives us, I think, a helpful sort of framework to think about the concept of church membership. In essence, we're talking about attachment as spiritual children to a spiritual family. That's kind of the essence of what we're talking about. And so in the first part of my example, uh, there are some of us who have been burned by our church family in the past, right? Something has happened, and either because of pain or, quite frankly, just rebellion, we refuse uh, to want to uh, give ourselves over to the idea of membership. Sometimes we just are a little overly independent, right? Some of us are like that. And so now we resist attaching ourselves to a particular church family in the formal way which we call membership. On the other side, though, there are some people, this is far less common, but it is a thing, that will attach themselves to multiple different families of faith. 
that will feel like I'm a member here, and I'm a member here, and I'm a member here. And, and they, they really don't go through any kind of formal process. They don't uh, take the steps they need to really think about the commitment. Uh, and, and that probably more often than not is just a matter of teaching, that they haven't really been taught what membership is and what it's not. And so neither of these are going to lead you to full spiritual health in the way that God intends, and, and as I'm going to argue later, in the way that the Bible assumes so today, what I want to walk you do, what I want to do is just walk you through a few kind of questions and, and responses, and hopefully do a decent job of giving you some answers on the topic of church membership. Uh, so after Easter, as we said, we're going to get more specific about what membership here. Uh, is going to look like in the future. Uh, but for t- today, what I want to try and convince you of is that membership is not only biblical, but it's also beautiful. And it's actually something you should want if you know and you love Jesus. And I would even argue, even if you don't know and love Jesus yet, the picture of church membership that we have uh, is something that should draw you closer to Jesus. Our, our, in our language of discipleship, move you towards Jesus, right? Now, I'm also going to warn you that I'm going to reference a bunch of texts today. So if you're a note taker, you're going to have to be quick, okay? Uh, we'll do our best to put them on the screen, uh, but I am going to move fast. So if one of them doesn't get mentioned, it's because I'm going quicker than I told them in the back I was going to go, and it's my fault, okay? But I want to challenge you, especially if this topic... Uh, particularly for those of you that are like my generation and younger watching this, we have a particular issue with church membership because we have authority issues. That's really what it is. We just don't like authority. Uh, and we've kind of whitewashed that, but that's really what it is. And so if that's you, if you have like opinions already and I'm like, everything I've said so far is making you like, wait a minute, then I want to challenge you to write down all the uh, texts that I mentioned. Go read them in their full context this week. Most of the references I'm going to show are just a chapter in the book of the Bible. So go read those this week, study those, make notes, and then I would love to buy you a coffee uh, to chat about it and, and, and uh, dive in some more. So let me pray, and then I'm going to dig in to this topic. Father, I pray that you would, again, open our eyes, illuminate your scriptures for us today. Uh, Give us the ability to think clearly about this and not be clouded by our presuppositions and our cultural norms. Uh, Although that is going to happen, help us to see through those as much as we can uh, to know that what you're calling us to is something uh, a little bit more difficult and yet rewarding than what maybe we are told is the path to life in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here's kind of the main question Uh, that you tend to hear from those who are struggling to understand church membership, uh, at least in kind of my experience, right? Even as a student pastor, even as a youth pastor, I've had this conversation. uh, Is church membership biblical? Is it even in the Bible, right? People ask that question. Now, in my experience, most of the time when someone asks that question, uh, this is especially so if they're already thinking the answer is no, right? They're already kind of couching their answer to it. What they actually mean under the question usually is something like, are there any explicit verses in the Bible that command me that I have to be a church member, right? That's what people mean when they say, well, is church membership biblical? Uh, The short and simple answer to that, is it explicitly commanded in the Bible, is no, it's not, okay? There aren't any explicit, specific verses in the Bible that say you must be a member in a formalized way of a specific local church, But that's just the wrong question. That's the wrong category of question. So let me give you an example of the flaw of this thinking, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? This is the central doctrine about who God is in 
Christianity. It's a teaching that if you don't believe in the Trinity, if you don't grapple with God being three in one, I didn't say understand the Trinity because nobody does, and if you think you do, that's how we get heresy. Uh, but the Trinity, that mystery of the Trinity, we believe that God is three persons in one God. And um, if you don't believe that, you are outside the bounds of historic Orthodox Christianity. You can't be a Christian and not believe in the Trinity. It's just that simple. That's one of the boundaries of Christianity. But the Trinity is not explicitly taught anywhere in the Bible. The word Trinity is not even in the Bible. So if that's how we view the Bible, we got a problem. But the Trinity is all over the place in the Bible. It's not explicitly taught, but it's assumed and implied everywhere. And what I'm arguing is that formal church membership is not explicitly laid out as a command in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, but it is assumed and implied all over the New Testament, all over the place. Now, if you're thinking to yourself then, wait a minute, what? I thought we only did stuff that was explicitly commanded in the Bible, right? Then let's, again, set up a time to chat, have some coffee or Coke or water, whatever you like, so that we can, I can walk you through some principles of how we actually treat the Bible, because that's just not how we think the Bible works. That's not the way the Bible is intended to lead us. So having said all that, let me give you some places where we see membership being implied and kind of assumed, presumed by the text itself, okay? And this is where the screen is going to start to flash some uh, Bible text at you. You ready? One of the earliest places we see this implication is, is in Jesus' own ministry in Matthew 18, okay? We're at the end of a process of restoration, uh, many of you know this process. Uh, sometimes this gets thrown around like somebody offended me, better Matthew 18 them, right? We say that kind of stuff to each other. Uh, but at the end of Matthew 18, at the end of this process of restoration and reconciliation, Jesus himself says that if the person, if the brother who has sinned against you refuses to listen first to you alone, then to a couple people, then to the church, if he refuses to listen, you are supposed to treat them like an outsider, he says, bring it to the church, and if they refuse to listen, they're, they treat them as an outsider, which means you love and welcome them, but they are now outside of something. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of the chapter, tells the church in Corinth to deal with a sin issue that's happening in the church. A man is having an affair with his mother-in-law, basically, and uh, he is doing that out in the open. The whole church knows about it. They're not doing anything. And Paul tells them, hey, hey, hey this, is, this, should, this is shameful even to the Gentiles. This shouldn't even be named among you. So purge the evil person from among you, he tells the church at Corinth. So in both of these cases, there would be no way to know who is talked about as the insider or the outsider. Who is the you when Paul says among you? if there's not some kind of clear understanding of who that church is, who the members of that church are, okay? Acts 2.41, we read this. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, specific, now that's a huge church, but it's a specific group of people. Acts 6, verses 2 and 3. So the 12... That's the apostles. The, the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples, or we might say the membership of the church, and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit 
and of wisdom who we may put in charge of this task. Okay, if you know that story, this is a story of the widows being neglected, and the apostles say it's not right for us to stop doing what we're supposed to be doing in order to do this other thing. And so let's appoint some from among you in order to do this. So here we, we not only see the among you idea there as a particular group who is known to be the congregation or the members, but also we see a relationship dynamic here between leadership in the church where members know who their leaders are and the leaders know who they called together. They know who the congregation is. They know the members. And we even see here an election. We see an election of church officers right in this text. This passage is where we see the institution of deacons, which that word means table servants. Okay, We see the institution of deacons, which we're going to be covering in a few weeks when we look at leadership in the church. The two main offices we see in the church are deacons and elders. Then we can look at Acts 12, verse 1, where, Herod, where it says that Herod, who's a secular leader, ruler at the time, attacked those who, quote, belonged to the church. Right? So even a secular leader knew who belonged and who didn't. Okay? The writer of Acts knows whose the disciples are. You could name them. Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he makes reference in verses 1 through 6 to a particular group of people that were apparently members of the church at Rome who Paul wanted to specifically greet, knowing, because this is how this worked at this time, knowing that this letter that he wrote them would be read to that church membership as they congregated, as they gathered together. So this is the presupposition of the Bible is that there are, is a known group of people who are in, and then there's people who are not yet in membership. 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 16, we have a clear teaching on how to handle, again, widows in the church, women who are in need in the church. In verses 9 through 13, we read this. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Now, I'm not here to talk about that whole list of things and culture and all that, but in this text, what we're seeing is a criteria for who might qualify for the widow care program at the church at Ephesus, where Timothy is an elder. Okay, this is a care program going on in the church at Ephesus that's organized. Uh, they have a plan, right? Timothy got this letter from Paul. He got his whiteboard out. He started drawing on the whiteboard. Who are the, who are the widows who are over 60 and who, right? So he has in his mind as an elder, as a pastor, a group of people he's thinking about. They have a plan. They're organized. They're carrying out this plan. This all assumes that there's not only people who will uh, qualify to be part of this plan, but there's also a group of people who will qualify to carry out this plan and serve those widows in the church. And this implies membership. Even just the language that the Bible uses in terms of metaphors and word pictures 
points us to the reality of what we call membership. Now, I know it's like popular. Maybe you don't know this, but it's like popular right now if you're like a younger church planter to have membership, but you don't call it membership. You call it like ownership or some other cool word. We're going to just stick with membership because I think it's a good word. It's, the wor- it's a word that the Bible uses. But all over, the Bible uses different metaphors and word pictures to point us to this reality. We've said this a million times. The Bible calls the church the family of God, okay, which means membership in a local church is going to look something like membership in a family. So Paul, again, tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 2, listen to these family-type relationships. Encourage an older man, because Timothy's a younger man, encourage an older man as you would your father, right? Which means don't be rude to him and disrespectful. Treat him as a family member. Younger men treat as brothers, right? I don't don't have brothers, but if I did, I would definitely treat them different than I'd treat my dad. It's just a different dynamic there, but we're in a family together. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters, So the Bible is talking about a particular group of people who you know and you treat in a particular way, like your family. The Bible also calls us a holy nation, the people of Christ's kingdom. So the local church membership is going to look something like citizenship, right? A particular group of people under a particular rule and reign. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ, This is one we struggle with. There's a little bit that seems kind of mystical and weird to us. But in a very real way, not in a literal way, but a real way, we are the body of Christ in the world. Which means membership will involve, listen to this one, this is so against our culture, actual dependence upon one another. Not just that other people depend on you, which feels good, but that we depend on other people. Not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of the one who is helping us to grow in their faith as well. This is how we depend on one another because we're a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together, right? COVID-19 taught us that, if anything. We suffered together through the last year and a half or whatever it's been. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We're going to see that next week. We baptize somebody into our family. We're excited about it. We all celebrate. I heard one pastor explain it this way. If my left elbow itches, my brain doesn't just tell my left elbow, stop itching. It sends a signal down to one of my other members, my right hand, and I scratch my left elbow. And in in some ways, this is like membership in a church, right? If there is an issue in one of us, it's not God's normal way to just like speak from the sky and reveal the answer to you. No, the normal way is for God to give that answer to someone else in the same body so that they would come to you and help you with that. We really struggle with this in our culture. We don't like to accept help. But here's the reality. If you struggle to accept help, from one another who are people that you can see, how are you going to accept the help that God has given us through Jesus Christ and the filling of his Holy Spirit? So accepting help and giving help as part of the membership of a local church is what we're called to. By, depending on who you read, some estimates say there's over 90 different metaphors in the Bible for describing what the church is. It's a flock. 
It's a temple. It's a people. It's a vine. It's a pillar. It's, it's a woman and her children. The church really is unlike any other kind of organization in the world because it cuts across all the other ways that people organize themselves. Like, even if we could get everybody who's in this room right now and watching online together and talk about our backgrounds and our differences, why in the world would we hang out with each other? Right? Like, we don't, some of us have, like, nothing in common other than the blood of Christ, which is the most important thing to ever have in common. And that's what makes us members together. All the metaphors that the Bible has, uh, I want to stop here and just invite you to think about this idea. Right? Apparently, God the Holy Spirit, in his infinite wisdom, having existed from eternity past, who will exist into eternity in the future, that same God who created everything from nothing and made you out of nothing in your mother's womb, he thought that you, in the scriptures that he inspired, which we hold as the highest authority for our lives, God the Holy Spirit thought that what we needed to understand this was a ton of different metaphors to describe what this new creation, blood-bought, spirit-fulfilled society is. That God in his wisdom thought that we needed to be given all of these metaphors to understand this important reality that you are not a Lone Ranger Christian. You are not free to make Christianity whatever you want it to be. You just aren't. Like, there's no other way to say that. And the church is the environment, church membership is the environment where we intentionally and deliberately say to one another, don't let me go off the rails. That's a huge part of church membership. That's maybe my most favorite part of church membership. As a member, not even just as a leader. I recently had this in a, said this in a conversation with someone. we got to flip this in our minds. we got to flip this. When we think about church discipline, we tend to think nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? But instead, church membership is us realizing and, and asking for uh, when, when we wander, which we sing about, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Like, you know, when you sing that, that's real. You are prone to wander. I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the God I love. And church membership is us saying, please, when I start to wander, I'm inviting you, come chase me down. Come chase me down, pastor, elders, other members. I am part of this family and I'm in. That's what we're saying with church membership. The reason why so many of us don't want to hear about church membership is that we're being formed, I would say deformed, discipled so much in the individualism of our world, which individualism isn't all bad. It's a good thing. The Bible has space for both. But we are over-individualized to the point where we begin to bend the Bible to that instead of being able to see when we're not walking on a path that God has for us. So when people ask, well, can't I be a Christian and not belong to a church as a member? I mean, I guess so. You could be married and never go home, too. That's weird. Right? Why would you do that? I guess, is that how you want all of your relationships? Because I'll tell you what that sounds like. Unsafe, unloving, unwise. But if that's what you want, I guess. 
I, and I'm speaking to myself and my generation here. I, my generation wants to think that being free from any and all limitations is the path to life, but it's not. It is just not the path to life. Life is found in limitations. The church cannot be your spiritual friend with benefits. Okay? Too often we view the local church the way we, our culture tends to view dating right now. All the benefits of a relationship, maybe, maybe commitment, maybe not, we don't know. And I'm just telling you, that doesn't work. That will not actually make you into the person of love that God wants you to be. That will not help you gain the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You have to be committed to a group of people in what we call membership for that to work. And so it doesn't work. And not only that, but as an elder of this church, as the elders of this church, we will do our best to not let that happen. So so let me now ask a question. If church membership isn't important, if it's not important, if formally belonging in a covenant commitment type of way, which we're going to talk about what that means, that church membership is a covenant type of relationship, not a contract, thank God, because those are not safe, how in the world, if church membership is not a real thing, not in the Bible, how in the world are you going to obey all the commands of God for you? And if you want to answer that question differently than the last 2,000 years of church history have answered it, then that's on you. But I'm arguing that the Bible and the history of the church presupposes that membership is part of the equation. So how could you possibly obey? First, from the individual Christian's perspective, I'm not sure how you can do what the Bible calls you to do apart from self-conscious commitment to a local church. So let's, we're going to go to that one verse, okay? This is that one verse that pastors and church leaders everywhere cringe when we hear. We don't like it. We, we think about reading it to our churches. It keeps us up at night. Like, this might be on the level of socially awkward of talking about giving, right? Like, I don't really want to talk about it. You don't really want me to talk about it. But we're going to do it anyway. So here we are. Okay? Uh, here's the verse that it just, it just cuts across the lines. Now, I'll tell you, that my power-hungry, control-freak, sinful nature self, right? I love the first part of this verse. Love it. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Yeah, right? Love that. We'll get to me, though. We'll get, we'll get there. But for now, obey your leaders, submit to them, right? Yikes. Say that to somebody in our culture and see what that gets you. Not far, okay? I remember being an elder in a meeting once where we were at a different church. We were discussing a statement of faith as a church, and we were talking about putting the phrase, Quote, we will be submitted to the Bible. And in that, st- in that statement of faith, and one of the elders said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if we should do that because people really don't like that language of submit. Like, yeah, you think? I don't like it either, but it's in there. We don't love that. Obey? Like some translations kind of lessen the blow, submit to your leaders. Obey is probably the more accurate word, right? And, and we have that added. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Tell me to obey and see what happens. And you know what? If you want to live in rebellion to God and in rebellion to the Bible, then you're right. Nobody can tell you what to do. I can't tell you what to do. That's not my job is not to force anybody. My job is to 
show you what the Bible says and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. But if you want to obey God, you want to live in his kingdom under his rule and his reign, obey your leaders. In the context of a local church, which means the elders, the pastors. But here's the implication. Which leaders? Obey your leaders. Which ones? All Christian leaders everywhere? Thank you. The leaders in your city? No, right? It's the leaders of the church to whom you have committed and who have committed to you, which leads us then to the rest of the verse, the part that I kind of wish wasn't in there. If I had an erasable Bible, erase this part. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Uh Uh-oh. Right? Let, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A little pragmatism in there for you. Don't make your leaders groan. That's not even good for anybody. So here we see the relationship then from the other side. These leaders are keeping watch over your souls. This is why the Bible talks about uh, being a pastor, being an elder as a shepherd. As a shepherd. You ever come into my office, you're going to see a shepherd staff sitting on my wall. Just was given to me by a church. It's a reminder of me of what the role is. You don't see a crown. It's not a king. It's a shepherd. But also the reminder is I'm under a shepherd because I'm a sheep too. The implication is for these leaders who are keeping watch over your souls, that they will have to give an account, and so they will have to give an account ultimately to God. But again, as a leader, as a pastor, as an elder of a church, am I responsible for the souls of every Christian in the world, in my city, in my neighborhood? Again, no, it's a particular responsibility to the Christians who have committed themselves to us as leaders and who I am committing myself to as their leader. But I want you to notice the end of the text. As I mentioned, don't make it hard for your leaders to lead you, right? What kind of leaders do you think will do the best job and lead well? Joy-filled or grouchy? Which one do you want, right? Who doesn't want a leader, a pastor who wakes up every day and groans because he has to lead you again? Like nobody wants that. We want joy-filled leaders who are excited about leading us, and part of this implies that we know each other, that we know who one another is. Another couple examples from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 4 says that we are to build one another up by speaking the truth in love, one another again. Ephesians 5, in the context of addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, says that we do this as we submit to one another. So again, Which Christians are we to both build up and submit to with our words? All the Christians in a whole city? No, the implication here is it's the Christians who are in the church at Ephesus who have committed to regularly gathering together in one place, which is a local church. So we could go through multiple commands. We could go through metaphors in the New Testament about the corporate life of the church, and every time we see a command or an exhortation, the same thing comes up. I don't know how you obey that without a local church. Now, let's take it to the level of the authority of the local church as a whole. The Bible actually gives local churches quite a bit of authority. The Bible gives local churches the authority to bring members in, 
and to see them out, to cast them out if they need to. Uh, the two most kind of biblical and historic rooted ways that are, are the two most visible ways that the church exercises this authority is by bringing people into the church through baptism, okay, and by affirming them as believers on an ongoing basis through communion, the Lord's Supper. That's part of what that meal is doing for us. So understand, when you take communion every week, you are affirming the reality that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and the local church as your family. It's part of what we're doing. When we baptize, which we're going to do next week, we're excited about it. We baptize someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As a church, we are publicly saying to the world, this person is with Jesus. That's what we are publicly saying to the world. And in so doing, we make their profession of faith and their discipleship manifest and we make it public. Okay, Not too many days ago. There was a horrific shooting in Atlanta. And as a pastor, what I saw in kind of the, the blog email world that I live in was all this stuff about uh, the, the church that this man belonged to. That even our world looks at Christians and realizes that we belong to a particular group of people. And that church struggled because they put out a statement that says, Basically, we baptized this brother. He professed his faith, and, and he did this horrific, horrific thing that he is responsible for. And so as a church, membership matters even outside of these walls because baptism, communion, make that membership manifest and public. Again, this is also why we say that communion is not an individual act. It is not some individualistic opportunity to, oh, it's an audience of one and shut everybody else out and have a quiet time alone with you and Jesus. No. Communion is a church-revealing, church-affirming act. We can visibly see, in a few moments, in this room, we're going to do it. We can visibly see the local expression of the reality of the body of Christ in our world. And that's held together by what we call membership. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 about the Lord's Supper. There is one bread. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of that one bread. This, this little verse is just packed with a ton of meaning. The main section there, we who are many are one body. How do we know that we're one body? We know because there's one Bread. In fact, that same verse is essentially saying the same thing twice. We know we are one body because there is one bread, and for we all partake of the one bread. Now, I know we're taking communion right now from little cups that are not one loaf of bread. I get it. Okay, it's a picture. Partaking of the bread symbolically affirms and reveals that we, as a local church, are one body. We're also part of the Big C Church. I'm not denying that, but I'm just saying that expression starts at the local level. So what is the authority of the local church? Ultimately, the, the, the authority of the local church is to publicly say who Christians are and who Christians are not, and who are Christians and who are not Christians. That is the authority of the church. We do this through these symbols, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is like the front door. Lord's Supper is the family dinner table. 
Both of these are held together, symbolized, and are signs of membership. Right? More than that, they are how a church corporately affirms somebody's profession of faith. What it means to be a Christian is to be a member of a local church. This is how the church goes public. Okay? So think back to the verses in Acts about being, quote, added to their number, the full number of disciples, those among them, those who belong. They knew who they were as members of a local body through those ordinances and by the commitment they have made to one another. So why can't you just be the body of Christ or the family of God apart from a self-conscious, intentional commitment to a local church that we call membership? Why can't that be? Because it's really the only way that you can actually fulfill all of the Bible's commands about our life together. Right? The Bible talks a lot of one another. 59 times, one another, one another, one another. How are you going to do that if you're not part of a membership of a local church? And because it's the local church, listen to this, it's the local church that the Bible authorizes to publicly recognize and affirm who is the church on planet Earth. Not you by yourself. You as part of the membership of a local church. And that's what we're going to get to see next week. So as you're well aware, next weekend is Easter Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to hit pause on this little series. We're going to focus on the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his bodily resurrection from the dead, which matters. And we're going to see a couple baptisms. And, and again, we're really excited about it, excited about it, okay? Uh, but I know that there's a lot more to say here about membership and leadership, and so after Easter, we're going to spend just a few more weeks working through some of that. We're going to look at the specifics of membership here at Lansdowne Alliance Church. So specific that you're going to be reading bylaws with me. It's going to be so exciting. Okay? But it is kind of exciting because that's what makes our family a family. Okay? Um, and then I want to just spend a week talking us through a biblical, week or two, talking us through a biblical framework for leadership and service in the church, particularly, specifically, the offices of elders and deacons and church governance and how that all works, okay? So those of you who are like more controlling, get excited about that, governance, like, yeah, I like that. Those of us who like to buck the rules, not so much, okay? That's me. So that's the plan for the next few weeks. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you that you've made us. You, you haven't left us as orphans, but you've brought us into a family, Thank you that um, we have this formalized way of, of acknowledging that I'm in. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm not pushing myself away from the table when times get hard. This is a covenant I'm making with these other brothers and sisters. And, and Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you fall afresh on us to, to let us see membership for what it is, a beautiful, safe guardrail around our spiritual life and even around our regular life. Uh, as we help one another and reach out to one another, have relationships with one another, and help us to see that we both um, we, we need membership and church community because others need help, but also because we need help, Father. Break down our pride that thinks we don't ever need any help. We need it. And so, therefore, we need one another. And we thank you again for these words in, in this scripture that you've given us, that you've revealed yourself to us, 
And I just pray that um, if there are those of us who have questions about this, that they would study and they would reach out and we would be able to connect and just bring clarity to this conversation. Because as we move forward, Father, uh, we want to be united together as a church family so that we can represent what your kingdom looks like in our neighborhood, in our community, and in our world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to say to those of you watching online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you are interested more in knowing what membership looks like in our church, uh, click that connect button and let us know. Um, if the Holy Spirit somehow, because he does this amazing stuff, if you want to uh, say yes to Jesus and, and make that part of your story, I want to encourage you to click that button as well and let us know. Uh, that goes for everybody in this room as well. Um, you can click on uh, our church website, lansdown.church. There's a bunch of resources there for you. There's a bunch of teaching and stuff you can uh, engage in. And I would just love to invite you to do that. Those of us in the room, we are going to take communion in just a few minutes uh, so we can be preparing for that. Let's stand together. Those of you watching online, I want to invite you to stand wherever it is you are or at least take a posture of kind of uh, receptiveness. And I'm going to read to you this blessing out of the book of Numbers. And then for those of us in the room, we'll be back here in about five minutes or so to take communion. And we're going to have a couple specific things we're going to pray about together as well. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.